knows. <laughs> We're going to continue in our series, uh, Free at Last, from the book of Exodus. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 14. We're going to read through chapter 7, verse 7. Listen to the word of the Lord. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses, the son of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemiel, Jamin, Ohad, uh, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, uh, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malai, and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years, the son of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elishabah, the daughter of Amenadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would come by the power of your spirit and that you would speak now to us as all of us sit under the authority of your word. Do that work, Lord, in our lives, in our hearts. Transform us, renew us, conform us into the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and ask it in his name. Amen. In verse 12 of Exodus 6, 
we hear one of the more common expressions from the mouth of God's people when they are confronted with a task of ministry that is seemingly too big for them uh, to accomplish. Moses' words in verse 12 are essentially, I can't do it. Though Moses doesn't say again what he said directly to God in chapter 4, verse 13, and chapter 5, verse 22, his question conveys a similar determination as that found in those verses. I can't do it. I'm not cut out for this God. I'm not sufficient for this task. And none of us are surprised really by Moses' repeated expression of I can't do it because when we think of the scope of the task of announcing God's salvation in this world, a task that brings us face to face with the concrete expression of, all, of sin and death in this world, injustice, oppression, rebellion, disobedience, mistreatment, and the like. We too, if we are honest, have moments where we agree with Moses. I can't do it. And what we are really acknowledging, and what I believe Moses was acknowledging in that I can't do it moment, is a realization of our own insufficiency for the call that God has placed on our lives. If we are honest, we know the task is too big for us on our own. We know that it's too big for us on our own. And what I love about Moses, who was compiling this narrative, is that he is not afraid to put in here how many times he told the Lord he couldn't do it. How many times he came face to face with his own feeling of inadequacy for the job. Can you imagine going to a job interview? The, interview? the interviewer lays out the task, and you look at the interviewer and say, I can't do it. You know the next words you're going to hear? Thank you for your time, Mr. Miles. Next. But aren't you glad that God doesn't look at our insufficiency and shout next? He doesn't look at our weakness and cringe or shrink back from the calling he has placed on our lives. Instead, he strengthens us and encourages us by reminding us that it is not our sufficiency that he is counting on, but rather his own. And so in verse 29, Moses reminds us of of God's reminding him of who God is. I am the Lord, he tells Moses. And in doing so, he repeats a a foundational point that, that he's been making throughout the narrative. The power for salvation is in the Lord's hands. He will deliver. He will save. So, so, so what does Moses in chapter 6, verse, 30, uh, verse 13 and, uh, through chapter 7, verse 7, what he does is to give us something of a, of a commercial break from the suspense that has been building in the narrative. And in this break, he gives us a, he gives us a genealogy uh, whose main purpose is to convey to the reader the family lineage of this Moses and this Aaron, to, to locate their place within the covenant family of God, and to to give us a summary of of the action among the main characters up to this moment. And embedded, brothers and sisters, in this genealogy and in this summation is the point I made earlier. God does not work his salvation on the basis of human sufficiency, but on the basis 
of his own sufficiency. Even the genealogy itself would support this for, for while it is, as I said, mostly here to locate Moses and Aaron's place in the covenant line and their credentials to serve in the roles in which they served, it is also an indication that the covenant family isn't a perfect one. From Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, who lost his firstborn status because he slept with his father's concubine, to Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's grandsons, who, who, who would be destroyed by the Lord for not taking their responsibility seriously and offering what the uh, Bible describes as unacceptable fire on the Lord's altar, to Korah, who will lead a rebellion in the wilderness against Moses and Aaron. I mean, if Moses was looking at his lineage as a ground for personal sufficiency, he was going to be out of luck. Because mingled in with the faithfulness of some was the unfaithfulness of others. No, the lineage would not be a thing upon which to hang his hat. Neither would his own personal past, his skill, his ability, or his energy. No, brothers and sisters, the call of God in this task of announcing his salvation in the world in the concrete experiences where sin and death are wreaking their oppressive havoc is not a call to sufficiency. It's a call to obedience. It's not a call to sufficiency. It's a call to obedience. And it is obedience that God is looking for from us, an obedience rooted in our confidence in him as Lord the Lord over the pharaohs of this world, over the Egypts of this world, over the slaveries that this world tries to trap us in. So I just want to ask the question this morning and have us answer it together. What is the shape of that obedience that God calls us to? Well, first and foremost, brothers, it is a obedience on the one hand that is rooted in faith. It is an obedience that is rooted in faith. After giving us a genealogy, Moses begins to summarize what God had told he and Aaron to convey to Pharaoh. And he sums it up as, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Moses then reminds us of his objection, an objection rooted again in his own sense of insufficiency for the task. God then reminds Moses of the arrangement where Aaron will speak on his behalf as if he were Moses' prophet, making Moses appear as a god to Pharaoh since he requires an intermediary to speak on his behalf. But then God launches right into the details of how this is all going to play out. You'll speak to Pharaoh. He won't listen because he thinks he and his gods are more powerful I will judge Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out, of, out from under his oppressive kingdom, and then even Egypt will know that I am the Lord. And what I want you to notice, and what I believe Moses wanted those reading to notice, is how God refuses to pull the assignment from Moses and Aaron despite Moses' objection. Rather, he reassures Moses of his plans, and he reassures him Brothers and sisters, because obedience is rooted in faith, Moses has to believe God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. This is why in a summary, Moses repeats twice something that God has been saying over and over again in this lead up to the conflict with Pharaoh and his administration and the gods of Egypt. I am 
the Lord. I am the Lord. And God isn't repeating this to remind himself of who he is. And he isn't repeating it simply as a brag or a boast. Isaiah tells us in chapter 40, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or whom or what likeness compare to him? No, God doesn't have to brag. God doesn't have to boast to dust about who he is. God's statement, I am the Lord, is for the benefit of Moses and Aaron's faith. It's for the benefit of Moses and Aaron's faith. It's for the benefit of the people of Israel's faith. And it will be for the benefit of the faith of many from among the nations of the earth, including Egypt. In order to walk in obedience to our calling to proclaim the salvation of God in this world, the concrete places where sin and death are wreaking havoc, we have to believe that our God is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. And God reassures us through His words and through His actions that He is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do in order that we might believe. And what I love about this summary is that we can see in the summary of God's commitment as we can see in the summary, God's commitment to build up the faith of His servants. God doesn't just tell Moses and Aaron to go speak to Pharaoh, leaving them to their own will to get the job done. He keeps coming and encouraging them with the truth about Himself and, and what He is going to do so that they will not give up but believe. Can I tell you, and you know this, God does the same thing in our lives because He knows that our obedience requires faith. Remember what the writer of Hebrews tells us about faith? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And again he says, and without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He is and that He rewards those who seek Him. Will, will the God who requires faith then not work to build it in our lives so that we might walk out the calling He has placed on us? Amen, people of God. Paul tells us in Romans 10, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. While Moses and Aaron did not know Christ in the flesh, the Word spoken to them was spoken to them by the triune God. And it was receiving and resting upon that message from the Lord that worked faith in them. And that faith, of course, would be strengthened and rewarded as they watched God do what He said He would do in the conflict with Pharaoh and Egypt's gods. Brothers and sisters, our faith cannot grow without constant engagement with the Word of God. And I want to encourage you not to wait till you come here on Sunday morning to engage with the Word of God. Ask God to give you zeal to pick up His Word every day and allow its truths to soak into your mind and heart as you read. 
And if you don't understand something, grab a brother or sister who knows the Word and ask them to help you. Grab a pastor, grab an elder, grab a commentary, grab your favorite Bible teacher, but know the Word. And here's another reason. Pharaoh knows his Word. That is, he knows the Word of his false gods and the Word of his own imagination, and he is committed to putting that Word into practice. So how are you and I going to confront the false Word if we have not spent time building up our faith in the Lord and His Word. Some of us are trying to fight the world with its own Word and then wondering why our faith is weak. Our Lord Jesus conquered the devil, the ultimate oppressor, through faith in God and His Word. And so how are we going to take down our oppressors if we don't also believe the Word of God, which builds up our faith? in our Lord. Amen, people of God. It's an obedience on the one hand that is shaped by faith or rooted in faith. It's obedience in another, on the other hand that is rooted in faithfulness. Listen again to verse 6. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Believing that God is who He says He is, He will do what He says He will do, is crucial to our obedience because it leads to what we read in this verse, actual obedience to what God says. Moses and Aaron did exactly what the Lord commanded them to do. They were faithful in this instance to what God commanded them. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, faithfulness matters to the calling that God has placed in our lives to announce His salvation in this world. It matters that we do what God says, that we speak and act in the world in keeping with His commands. Our faithfulness to the message that God has given to us matters because people need to know that the pharaohs of this world do not have the first nor the last word. Even Pharaoh himself needs to be confronted with the truth that, this, that his word is not final. His kingdom does not rule over all. His will is not ultimately going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That Moses and Aaron did what the Lord commanded is no small thing. And it's no small thing, particularly when we consider the context in which their faithfulness to God's commands was set. They were called to be faithful in a context in which the person to whom they were speaking would not listen to them. A person whose heart would be hardened against them. In other words, they were called to faithfulness in the face of stubborn and persistent evil. They, they were called to faithfulness in the, in, in the face of stubborn and persistent evil. It would be like God telling us to go stand in front of a mountain and tell it to move. And if we're honest, we would turn back to God and say, as far as I understand it, God, these things don't move. Can I tell you, that's what stubborn and persistent evil looks and feels like. It looks and feels experientially like a mountain. Whether we're talking about powerful people or powerful systems or structures or persistent and rebellious individuals or pervasive sin in our own lives, it can feel like an immovable mountain. So what moves it? The only thing that moves those mountains is a faith-filled faithfulness to do what God commands, to speak and act in ways 
he calls us even when it looks foolish and impossible. Can you imagine marching around a city seven times, worshiping and believing that on the seventh day after marching around it seven times, the wall around that city would fall? That's what the people of Israel would be called to do in a later story in the biblical narrative in defeating the town of Jericho. And here Moses is being asked to go to a persistently stubborn Pharaoh and tell him what God commands, knowing that he would not listen. Obedience is rooted in faithfully doing what God commands, even when doing so is hard. Even when doing so has us come up against circumstances that feel impossible. Moses is sharing this story, and sharing this story wanted to impress that truth upon his hearers. The Lord, through Moses, wants to impress it upon our hearts today as well. But this faithfulness, brothers and sisters, is not just required of us in the face of persistent and stubborn evil. It's also required of us at every stage of our life. Say that again. It's required at every stage of our life. We often speak about passing the torch to the next generation preparing them to take the leadership role, carrying forward some aspect of the world's future, whatever that may be. And there is certainly truth in that notion, for none of us is going to live forever. And if we want the world to move forward for the good uh, truths of, of generations before us to be carried forward, then a commitment to training up the next generation is paramount. Yet for the Christian, there is no real retirement. Let's say that again. <laughs> for, for, for the Christian, there is no real retirement. There is no exiting stage left. There is transitioning from one role to another role, or from one place to another place, or from one area of ministry to, a, to, 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 to one area of ministry life to another area of ministry life. But as long as we are here, we are called to champion God's salvation in the world. As long as we are here, we are called to speak to the pharaohs of the world and declare to the concrete expressions of sin and death in the world God's message of, let my people go. Old age does not exempt us from this call, doesn't free us from this responsibility doesn't excuse us from this faithfulness that the Lord calls us to. Listen again to verse 7. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old when the Lord, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron were at an age when most people were going home to be with the Lord. At that time, they were called to one of the greatest tasks in redemptive history at age 80 and 83. Some folk are looking forward to retiring from their secular job, passing it on to the next person. Indeed, even in the church, some of us are looking forward to the day when we can hand our responsibilities off to that young man or woman whom God has gifted in ministry. Great. That may need to happen, but in the Christian life, that handoff isn't a walk-off. In the Christian life, that handoff isn't a walk-off. 
God still has work for you to do. And for some of you, that work may be greater than you realize today. For the pharaohs of this world ain't going nowhere (laughs) in this life. In this life, we will have to keep standing in front of them and proclaiming, let God's people go. And that call, brothers and sisters, is for young and old alike. Moses and Aaron were 120 and 123, respectively, when they went home to be with the Lord. That means they were called to 40 more years of faithful service to God. And if you know the story, you know their service was not perfect, but they hung in there, and God sustained them until His work in them and through them was completed. All I'm saying to us this morning is hang in there. (laughs) Hang in there, brothers and sisters. Keep pursuing faithfulness to God no matter your age, no matter your life circumstances, and He will use you as He continues to establish His kingdom in the earth. Amen, people of God. The call, brothers and sisters, is as I said, to hang in there, is to pursue faithfulness to God at every stage of our lives, trusting in the Spirit's power and in God's commitment to give us perseverance. Let me repeat something I said last week. Uh, The hard circumstances of your ministry life are not an indication that it's time to quit. Rather, those very places of challenge, they call for faithfulness. They call for a commitment to keep doing and saying what the Lord calls us to do and say. You're going to see it as we move forward in the narrative, but God is going to keep sending Moses and Aaron back to an increasingly stubborn Pharaoh to announce his salvation. You are going to be called to some places where God is going to require faithfulness in saying and doing the same things over and over again. For some of you, this will be in your family, with your children, or with some other relatives. For others, it's going to be in the church with fellow believers. Still with others, it's going to be with neighbors or co-workers. And collectively as the church, it may be with religious leaders, local, national leaders. Either way, faithfulness in those places will require us to keep announcing God's, thus saith the Lord. And as I said, get over the idea of retirement from this call. You can retire from your job, both in the world and in the ministry, but you can't retire from this call. Ask God to work in you and in us corporately, an attitude and a lifestyle of faithfulness. Obedience, on the one hand, is rooted in faith. On the other hand, it's rooted in faithfulness. And God does not call us to sufficiency. He calls us to obedience. And in calling us to confront the concrete expressions of sin and death and evil in the world, God calls us to this obedience, which is shaped by faith on the one hand, faithfulness on the other hand. And you know where the power for this obedience comes from. It comes from our union with Christ, who has placed His Spirit on the inside of us to empower us for this calling He has placed in our lives. So let's walk in that calling, trusting not in our own sufficiency, but in the sufficiency of the Lord. Amen, people of God. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray. 
Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks this morning. We thank you that you are the God who calls us not to sufficiency but to obedience. And you call us to this obedience, God, because salvation, deliverance is in your hands. You have delivered us. You have set us free from sin and death. And you have placed your spirit on the inside of us that we might have the power to believe and the power to walk in the faithfulness you call us to. I pray, Lord God, for your people in this room. I pray that their faith would indeed be strengthened as they interact with your word and see who you declare yourself to be and what you declare yourself to do. I pray that their faith would be strengthened as they watch you do that in their own lives and in the lives of others, as they watch you do that in the world. And I pray, Father, that your people would indeed be empowered by the Spirit to keep walking out into the world in the midst of the difficulties, hardships, circumstances of life, that they would continue to walk out and proclaim God's thus saith the Lord, his salvation in the earth. I pray this for all of your people, even the ones speaking, and I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.